Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to introduce Kathleen Gage, the writer of Power Up for Profits and an international speaker. How are you doing, Kathleen? Ken, I am doing great. How are you today? Fantastic, fantastic. And I've read some of your background, so I think it's really going to be helpful for a lot of people because you did start literally from nothing. <laughs> That's true. And, uh, That's so true. And uh, I, th- I think, you know, some of the people can really relate to that, so that will be good. But could we just go back to the beginning? When did the entrepreneurial bug bite you? Oh, gosh. If I was to get really honest with that, I would say probably when I was about six or seven years old, quite seriously, because nice. when I was seven, I I had a neighborhood newspaper and that we're going back, gosh, 54 years ago. And I actually had a penny ad that I was selling to neighbors in the neighborhood. And I think I did so well because they felt sorry for me. But it was it was the first experience I had with asking people for money and giving them something in exchange. And of course, I had the lemonade stands. I had the lawn mowing business, the babysitting business. So really, it started very young. And I have to really give my dad a lot of credit for that because he taught me the value of a dollar. He taught me the value of good hard work. Um, But in my adult life, when it first hit, was in my 30s, and I started my business, my current business, about 21 years ago. Okay. All right. So that first business where you really started making some money in your 30s, what was that business initially? Actually, that business was an events promotion company, and I would contract out to nonprofits to help them raise funds for whatever causes they were involved in. And one of the ones that uh, I really enjoyed was a doggy walkathon. We called it Pawsathon, and we raised money for the United Cerebral Palsy Association of the North Bay Area in uh, California. And what was so interesting is we tried to partner with the Humane Society because it seemed like a natural fit, and whoever was in charge could not see beyond the fact that it was another organization that was involved, and they wouldn't partner with us, which I, I thought was so interesting because nowadays in business, the more you can partner with people, the better off you're going to be. Well, that is that is a problem. A lot of people see others as competition where really they can be their allies. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> they, approach it. they approach it the wrong way. So uh, how did you actually start this thing? I mean, right from the ground, I mean, anyone decide to hire you? What, what did you create? I guess maybe not a website back then, or maybe you did. Uh, well, no, I didn't because that was back before we really had websites. Uh, my first website, okay. I, I have to say I'm a little embarrassed to even let people know what we had on it. We had the little construction workers in construction and we had little worms coming out of holes and we were, you know, it was just like uh, as crazy as we could get. But uh, back then, how I actually started is I found causes that I believed in and I would actually raise money. And then reputa- my reputation got around that I was passionate about putting events on. I was good at raising money. And so that's when I was able to start actually uh, making a living from it. 
And then I, I stopped that for a while, went to work for a large corporation, GTE Health Systems, and I did that for a few years until I realized that I really wasn't the best fit for a corporate environment, not because I didn't do the work well. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got almost every award that they could give out to an employee, and I got promoted, and I got uh, put in divisions that I wanted to be put in. I was involved in the trade show management. But what I found was I was a little too creative for that environment. I'd come up with an idea, and it was like, okay, here's the idea. Let's move forward with it. Let's make it happen. And in a lot of corporate environments, there's so much red tape that you deal with that they don't move as quickly as one might want to. So I made a decision nearly 21 years ago to start my own business, the one that I have today. But it didn't start as it is today. Uh, I went from corporate to corporate. I was a corporate trainer. I would go in and do workshops, seminars, uh, keynote presentations for conferences, and it evolved into what it is today. Okay, so when you first started doing your talking, were you were you an, a paid employee at that point initially? Are you well, you know, that's so interesting, Ken, because um, actually when I really found the passion for speaking, I was in broadcast media, and this was in the mid-80s, and I had a client who wanted me to come in and talk to their staff about uh, their attitude, really having better customer care, and it was at that time I got introduced to Tony Robbins' material, so I was on fire with, oh, I want to be a speaker, and I, I did a little bit of speaking, but when I was in the corporate environment, I actually went to my manager, who was one of the directors in the company, and I said, I would really like to be in the demonstration department, and it was a healthcare uh, systems organization. That's and, a GTEs at that time. Yes, and they would actually send teams out to hospitals to demonstrate different software. And I said, I'd love to learn how to do that. And my manager told me, he goes, you will never, ever make it as a speaker. Who do you think you are? And I was, sh I was, I was shattered. I was flabbergasted. I was angry. And I thought, I'm going to show him. And I actually joined a Toastmasters group in the early 90s. And that was a real turning point for me. So it was really somebody telling me I couldn't do it that motivated me to do it really well. And I went through a period um, prior to getting involved in the Internet where my entire income came from speaking engagements. Oh, nice. Uh, just to go back to that boss, so do you think he was just jealous or you were going to get ahead of him or something? No, I think what it was is that was just his personality and his way of managing because it wasn't just me that he was a naysayer to. It was virtually everybody who was on his team he would. Um, he was real critical. He never supported what we wanted to do. And what was most amazing is the day that they announced that he was leaving the company, um, you never saw so many people get up on their chairs and cheer. People were wow. ecstatic that this man was leaving because he really blocked a lot of the um, productivity that was possible and the potential that we had just because that was his nature. It's amazing it takes a... A big corporation that many years to figure out who's not helping their, <laughs> their absolutely staff. absolutely um, all right uh, and also I think that some of those ideas you had back there 20 years ago they're probably just getting out of those committee meetings now and they maybe are interested yeah. <laughs> well you know it's so interesting because um, after I left that company I, I was running my business for a while and then I get got invited to join another company it was a career development company, 
And during that time, I was living in Salt Lake, and I suspended operations in my own business, joined this company as an executive, had a team of 25. It was a multi-million dollar career development company, had all the, the trappings of a great job. And I was invited to sit on a lot of committees, specifically with the Department of Workforce Services. And I remember sitting in these meetings, watching just the bureaucracy and how much time was wasted and that decisions weren't being made in a timely fashion. And finally, I decided to get off the committee. I was up for being the chair of the committee of the largest division in the entire state of Utah. And I thought, this is not how I want to spend my time. And what I love about being an entrepreneur is I can make those choices today of this is not a person I want to spend my time with. This is not a project I want to get involved with. These are the things that I do want to do. And and that's what I love about being an entrepreneur, Ken, is that I can make decisions today based on what's important to me and what I want to see happen in my community, in my business, with my clients, in the world. Super. All right. Um, if you were going to, well, okay, let, let's go this route here for a minute. So I have someone right now that wants to tar- start to uh, a speaking career to kind of, you know, uh, emulate you. So what is it, uh, if you're older, over their shoulder right now, what would you recommend is the first step? The first step, I would say, is um, to find out how committed they are to it, because it's not as easy as a lot of people think. They think all you do is get on the platform and start speaking, but the speaking is actually the easy part. It's the marketing, the promotions, the signing the contracts, or the um, putting on your own events. So the first thing I would find out is how committed are you to making this successful? The next thing is I would uh, want them to identify what is your expertise and what would you be speaking on? Because I know early on when I was starting to speak, I, I had a mentor and she said, what do you want to speak on? I said, I want to motivate people. She goes, on what? And I said, I just want to motivate people. She goes, you have to have substance to what you're doing. Even as a motivational speaker, there has to be some content involved. And it was a natural evolution for me to actually start speaking on marketing. And then through the avenue of the marketing uh, conversation, then I could motivate and inspire people. So the, the thing that I would really invite people to look at is what is your expertise, where have you had successes, where have you had failures, and how could you turn that into something that people would want to listen to? The next thing that I would recommend is that you identify who your market is, who's going to want to listen to you, because not everybody wants to listen to every speaker. I know there's people who love hearing what I have to say, and other people, they they don't want to give me the time of day. They, they're not interested in what I have to talk about, and that's okay, because one of the things I actually talk about a lot now in my presentations, my business actually fuels a lot of animal rescue. And I not only have many rescue animals, but I donate to rescue organizations. So I talk about this on the platform. And if somebody doesn't like animals, they're probably not going to want to sit through one of my presentations. Mm -hmm. So you have to find that market that's interested in what you're going to be talking about. So you're not looking to try to convert anyone. You're just sorting. You're finding out the ones that are in your category and you're Leaving the other ones alone. Absolutely. And and the one mistake I see that a lot of people make, whether, whether it be through speaking, consulting, writing books, uh, selling widgets, 
is when you say who's your market and they'll say, well, everybody's my market. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. There's you don't need that big of a market to have an incredibly successful business. Um, actually, in the world of consulting, if you had 20 good clients, you could make a multiple six figure income from 20 good clients. But it's really being able to identify who those clients are. So in your case, you could go out and see what companies are supporting stray dogs, whatever, stray animals uh, that are already behind those organizations, and they're a natural for you. Absolutely. I'll give you a great example. Not too long ago, uh, we adopted a, a – actually, we didn't know what kind of dog she was when we first adopted her. She came to our doorstep. It was a rainy day. She was matted. She had tumors all over her belly. This dog was in really bad shape. We didn't think she was going to survive past a week or two. That was nearly a year later. Well, what I did is I actually did an online campaign to raise money for surgery to get rid of the tumors because it was going to be several thousand dollars. Out of yes, doing that, I actually got a speaking engagement at what's called Blog Pause. It's a bloggers conference for animal bloggers. Out of that, wow. I got another speaking opportunity. So it was by just being myself, being transparent, doing what I'm being called to do, that opportunity showed up. So it sounds like you, you gave away and then got a return. You, you gave Absolutely. yourself... Absolutely. You know, and this is a, an area that I really encourage people to look at is what can you give away as far as your knowledge, your expertise that basically you're showcasing what you do. And a lot of people think they can't give a lot away that, you know, if they give everything away, what else are they going to sell? And the reality is, is you can give your best stuff away and you'll still have more to sell because we never are going to run out of ideas. If we run out of ideas, then we need to go back to the drawing board. But Quite seriously, it could be that you're giving ebooks away, you're giving MP3s away, videos, uh, speaking engagements, uh, consulting, but it's picking and choosing, and you decide where you want to give it away. And what about the, like, some uh, speakers think, oh, I don't want to give my best stuff away because then, you know, whatever, and others say, I'm going to give my absolute best stuff away because if they think, wow, that's free. I can't imagine how great that is. Absolutely. I, I'm of the belief that you give your best stuff away because you should be showing up. In, in, my, in my book, in my belief, you should be showing up to life 100% every day. And if you're holding back, then you're not living fully. And so just show up, give 100%. My, my philosophy is whether it's fee or free, I'm going to give my best because that, the people that are listening to me deserve to get my very best. <clears throat> a great philosophy. Thank you. Yes, to to, to feel that way. Um, now, the, the your book, uh, Power Up for Profits. Can you tell us a bit about it? Absolutely. That book is based on uh, over a decade of experience online and over two decades of experience with marketing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I, I actually had been having a lot of people ask me, when are you going to write a book on online marketing? And what we did is we actually positioned it as a book for women who want to get visibility online. Even though a lot of men have read it, it was targeted towards women because my primary market happens to be boomer women, women over the age of 50 who have had successful careers, and now they're moving into another level of what they're going to be doing. And so that book covers 
just about A to Z on how to get visibility online, how to position yourself online, how to lay your foundation, uh, how to determine what you're going to give away, who your target market is, how to position your expertise, how to work with the media. Um, so it's, it's a pretty in-depth content-driven book that really is it's a great resource for anybody who wants to get a, a real quick bit of knowledge, if you will, on how to get that visibility in front of your market. And again, you've niched down, which is the value there. You've, you've decided it's women and you decide they're baby boomer age, where if you said my book is for everyone in the world, it wouldn't have gone as far as it has probably. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So find your niche. How do you develop a niche? Uh, let's take, okay, I, I've got a neighbor here that is in the plastic business, Excrusion, and, you know, they make the new designs of Coke bottles or whatever, and he's just retiring, okay? This last uh, couple of weeks or I think two weeks ago he retired, and he wants to keep making money, but uh, I don't know if he's being forced out. We really didn't get into you know the nitty-gritty of it. But he's like 63 or whatever, and he says, you know, I'm not going to live very well on what, what my pensions are. What do you recommend for this, for this gentleman to do? Well, you know, actually, one of the things I would recommend is that he check out an organization called SCORE, which is uh, a government organization where retired people volunteer their time to help others start businesses. So it would be a great way for him to at least meet other executives who are volunteering their time in their community to find out what's going on in the community. The next thing I would say is if money were not an issue, what would he be spending his time on? Because if you can actually uh, figure out what your passion is and then put the amount of effort into that that you would anything else, any other business that you're running, you're going to have more fun showing up to work every day than simply doing something for money. Now you have, well, he, Go ahead. He liked his business, but he's done it all his life. But he really likes baseball, but he doesn't really see where that's going to make him any money. Oh, so. my gosh. Baseball can be just hugely – it could be a hugely profitable uh, avenue for him to, um, to explore. Uh, for example, if he started a blog and he blogged about uh, different uh, teams and what's going on with the teams, and he really brought valuable information to his market, the people who are also interested in, in baseball, he could get a following, and then he could sell T-shirts to those people uh, for each team in each state. He could sell um, anything that has to do with baseball, uh, the, the widgets that go with it. But the first thing is, is for him to put a stake in the ground and say, this is what I'm going to uh, spend my time with, and then to commit 100% rather than just putting his toe in the water, but to say, okay, this is the direction I'm going, and I need to find that market that's interested in baseball. I need to get the foundation set up with my blog, my website. What are the uh, things that I could sell as an affiliate? An affiliate is somebody who is selling for another uh, person or a company. If it's an e-based product, that usually you'll get about 50 to 75% of the sale. If it's a physical product, it can be anywhere from two, three, five, ten percent. Uh, but there's a that that could be hugely profitable. So even <laughs> though he really has expertise, you know, in this uh, exclusion thing, uh, 
but he he loves baseball. You think that he's better off to to do the base to pursue the baseball avenue? Well, you know, I can't really say a, a black and white answer on that because there's a lot of elements involved in it. But I would say that the sports industry is one of the most profitable industries to be involved with. Uh, fitness is a hugely profitable industry to be involved with. Religion is hugely profitable. So really, virtually any industry could be profitable, but to, to just give a, a pat answer and say, yes, absolutely, that's what he should be doing, I would be doing him a disservice because unless I have more information, I, I really can't give the um, 100% answer that, yes, this is what he needs to be doing. But I will say that he could make money at it, yes. Okay. Yeah, like he he has money right now, and he just got a house here on the on the lake where we're at. So you know, it's he's got a fairly decent place. But he said, you know, I really need to to generate uh, income here over the next. He, I mean, they're probably giving him a good severance pay, whatever. I'm not sure what the details are. But if he was willing to say, okay, I'm going to spend 30 hours a week, 25 hours a week from now on on baseball. From my limited knowledge, I mean, I know who I like and who I don't like and why I don't like him. And, you know, he's pretty knowledgeable in the area. How quick could he reasonably, I mean, again, this is a big variable here, but if he's going to spend 25, 30 hours a week focusing, the first thing he would do was start a blog or start a website? I would say, you know, start a podcast show or start a blog, something where he's um, positioning his perspective and point of view. And then what he could do is bring in, People from the industry that he could interview, he could write stories, he could do reviews on games, and that would actually get him some good traction and visibility. He needs to make sure that he's using the right keywords when he's writing his blog posts. Um, he would have to have an engaging um, title for his podcast show. But to bring people onto a podcast show is a great way to get visibility, get the traction. He would also have to have a way to capture people's contact information. It could be that he simply says, for the next review, sign up and I'll send you the reviews as I write them. Uh, he might have some kind of a free gift on how to get the most out of a baseball game when you go as a spectator. Um, all, all sorts of things that he could do to, one, lay that foundation, and two, be very consistent in what he's doing to build that following. Because, again, with a, a niche market like that, it, it wouldn't take long if he was putting 20, 30, 40 hours a week into what he was doing. But the, the big thing is, is for him to be very clear on, is he being productive or is he spinning his wheels and just spending a bunch of time online and not getting a result? So he would have to set some clear-cut goals. He would have to not put a business plan together, but more a promotions plan, a social media marketing plan. So there's a lot of elements involved in it, but I would say if he gave it 100%, within a few months, he could definitely be generating some good revenue. Wow. Okay, so in the baseball field, let's say in 90 days, he could expect to be making a thousand a month, maybe or I more. Can't, I I I would be doing him a disservice to say that. Okay. Again, All I right. don't know him. Uh, there's right. other factors involved. Uh, he might have a spouse who thinks he's just playing on the computer when he's in fact building a business, and that's a yeah. challenge that I see a lot of people have. They're they're spending their time building their business online, and their family thinks they're just playing around on Facebook or something. When in reality, they're building market reach. So there's there's other factors involved. All right. 
Okay, but uh, again, uh, you, you see profit uh, in not too long a period of time approaching. Now, good. How, I'll give you an example. Yeah, I'll give you a great example. I, I have All a right. client who actually used to work on Wall Street and very successful on Wall Street. And she is now a certified angel minister. So we're giving a very extreme example of somebody who's making money in an industry where you think, can she really make money at that? A few years ago, she came to me and she said, look, I've, I've got this certification program. I'm the highest educated angel minister in the world. And she is. She actually has angel cards that have sold um, over 250,000 copies when they first came out. Uh, so she's been relatively successful in that arena. And she said, what I want to do is get a market for my certification program. We put a program together. And at the time, she I felt she was way undercharging at $4,000 per certification. And she had a, a group open for 22 spots. Within two weeks, she sold all 22 spots. She made wow. $88,000. Now, there was the delivery on that. And this is where some people also get a little um, sidetracked. Selling is one thing. Delivery is a whole other ballgame. You can have uh, e-based products that are instantly delivered, and that's the end of the story. Or if you're doing consulting of any sort, you sell it, you have to deliver it. So in the certification program that she did, was it a one-week course, six-week course? It was a six-month course. Six That's months. why I felt she was way undercharging. Wow. And is that a weekly thing? Uh, I believe she did she... weekly classes, and then when they were through with the six-month training, they came for a live retreat. Um, and uh, she actually, since that time, has run it uh, probably five or six times. Uh, she now uh, is next week. She's going to be at a, uh, a conference where there's going to be three or four thousand people that are interested in angels who are coming to this conference. So who would think who would think that somebody as an angel minister could make a great living? Well, she's proof that it can happen. And she came from a very traditional background of Wall Street. Wow. Yeah, it had nothing to do with Wall Street. <laughs> no, no. I think she prayed to the angels to get out of Wall Street at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that, especially right now. Who knows what's going to happen next there? Absolutely. All right. All right. Um, what uh, uh, We have your book. What other trainings uh, do you offer? What uh yourself what uh, well, what I offer I have different levels that people can actually enter into um, my products and services one is I have everything from a seven dollar report on up to a twenty seven thousand dollar a year consulting package and that would be one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do with people I work primarily with solo entrepreneurs I, I don't work with large companies anymore I, I've gone the gamut of large corporations, municipalities, federal agencies, uh, to mid-sized companies, then family-owned businesses. And I found that my sweet spot uh, happens to be women over the age of 50 who have had extremely successful careers. Uh, one of my clients was a trial attorney for 30 years, and now she's an author. And her main focus is helping people to deal with overwhelm. And she just wrote the book on it. It's called I'm sorry, to, to deal with what? Overwhelm. So how to get over overwhelm. And uh, she just wrote a book called uh, Overcoming Overwhelm. And Eat the Elephant is what it's called. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so 
it's like with me, people come in on all different levels. I have private retreats where I have no more than 12 people who come to the retreat. We spend three days together immersing ourselves in a topic. I do live events. Uh, my next one is coming up in Portland, Oregon in October. And um, then I do uh, books. I have uh, virtual trainings that I do where they're anywhere from four to eight weeks. And it's a group of people who will join in. And all of that with all the offerings I, I have available requires that I be able to reach my market. And that's something I really work with my clients on is teaching them how do you get the visibility and how do you reach your market? So I, I teach product creation. I teach how to market your book, how to get speaking engagements, how to do self-staged events, how to get visibility. Ultimately, what I teach is how to get your message out to market and package your knowledge in a way that you can make money at it. All right. So it, what it looks like for what I'm seeing, you want an entry level product. So the $7 product gets them in the door. And if they really like that, you probably really pack it full of good stuff so that the people say, wow, Absolutely. I want the next product. Well, you know, it's interesting, Ken, because some people don't care about the lower price products. They want to go straight to the top. They want the one on one consulting with me. And yet other people, they will always stay with the information products. So that's knowing my market really well. And by offering a variety of choices, then I have multiple streams of revenue. And there was a period that that was absolutely essential in my business to keep the business going when I was caretaking my mother before she passed away. And a lot of boomers are going through a situation where they have a parent who's been um, diagnosed with uh, dementia, maybe cancer, maybe whatever it may be, and they become yes. their caretaker. Well, the, the key to being able to really be there for a parent is knowing that your revenues are not going to slow down. And that's one of the things I work with my clients on is set yourself up so that if you need to take time off or you choose to take time off, you can. So you need some evergreen products there that, that, uh, <laughs> that will sell anytime. All right. Okay. That's great. Um, what, Starting a business today, of course, is different than when you started it back then. Uh, do you see more opportunities now or less? You know, I would say yes to both of those. Um, I see a lot more opportunity in that we can pretty much create what we want. And like the baseball example, for example, um, the, any market can be a viable market. Um, and you can do it from the comfort of your home. If you have to work off your kitchen table, you can reach a global market with that. Um on the flip side, there's more competition than ever before. When I first got online, I was one of the first women who was really visible online as an internet marketer. And I'm not a technical person. It was all about the marketing and the promotions. Back then, there was no competition. Today, there's a lot of competition. And so the thing that I recommend to people is find your uniqueness. Find what it is that is your perspective, your point of view, and be willing to stand with that. Um, what What is it that makes you who you are? Don't try to blend in. Really have a perspective and a point of view. And um, I have a good friend, Brian G. Johnson, who wrote a book called uh, Trust Funnel. And he says, different is better. Different is better. And a lot of people try to just blend in because that's what we were taught, especially as baby boomers. When we first got in into our careers, we were taught, don't rock the boat, blend in, just go do your job, stick around, get the gold watch. It's very different today. Uh, 
how far do we go with our uniqueness? And what I'm referring to there is, do you let people know your political affiliations, your religious affiliations, yeah, you, or do you keep those two things out? It, you keep I, I think that's out? entirely up to each individual person um, how far they want to go with that. Do you think that it's a, a, a benefit or, or a deficit? Well, um, who wrote the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Um, what was his name? Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it a million times. Yeah, and um, it'll come to me. Midnight tonight, I'll wake up and go, oh, that was his name. (laughs) But uh, Stephen Covey. Covey, yeah. With Stephen Covey, he actually uh, was LDS, Mormon, and he started in his ward. I I lived in Utah for 15 years. I'm not LDS, but I, I was able to have the benefit of learning the culture. And he actually started within his own circle of influence within the church, and it expanded out from there. So for him, it served him very well, and it wasn't really a hindrance at all. So I would say that it's an individual choice, and you have to decide if you want to um, rock the boat or not. I have a client who just signed with me, and one of the things that I suggested that she do is share a little bit more about herself with her market. And the last year for her has been upside down. Down. Another boomer situation, life turned upside down. Her husband is, uh, has a, a medical condition that's pretty, dre- uh, pretty traumatic. And so she mm-hmm. decided to share this with her market. And she wrote me and she goes, I had one woman who said, you're such an entitled rich person. How dare you tell me these things? And she goes, what do I do about it? And I said, take her off your list. You don't need to have people like that on your list. And then on the other side, she said, I had a lot of people who were very supportive, really appreciated the message. And that's what you're looking for is regardless of what your position is, you want to be around the people who support what you're doing and realize that the more visible you are, the more of a target you are. I've got you. So if you, let's say, decided to leave politics and religion out of it, which a lot of people do in business, but to show your heart with everything else is what you're saying you should do. Is that Would that be correct? It's what I do, and that's how I work with my clients. And um, I don't want to shoot on people, but, uh, <laughs> you, you know, for example, if somebody is really into um, the whole issue of uh, child trafficking, uh, and that's really important to them, I would say bring it into your conversations. Bring it into not every single time, but you can, there are ways that you can actually position your message and really honor who you are. And opportunity shows up as a result of this. I'll give you a great example. Uh, I'm going to be 61 in May, and I'm training for a marathon. And I'm going to be in the Eugene Marathon, and I've been training hard and heavy. Um, and I've been sharing that. I have a mentor who said, why don't you just share that? That could be a part of your messaging. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I, I'll do that. Just the other day, I had somebody who contacted me and she said, I've been following your stories. I've been watching your progress with your training. I'm putting together a summit with people who are older, who are into extreme sports. Would you have a conversation with me? And I thought, wow, if I wouldn't have revealed that about myself, I wouldn't be having what could potentially turn into an incredibly great conversation that could open up opportunities. Nice. So you're... From your main event, your hobbies, your interests can have a great value because others say, wow, I like 
doing whatever also. Just yesterday, I had a conversation with a host from a podcast, and she goes, now, we have a a co-host with us, Frankie Lee, and Frankie Lee is a seven-pound chihuahua. I said, oh, right on. I said, I want to talk to Frankie Lee. And right there, we had a connection. And Mm. so, and there's people who would say, I don't care about Frankie Lee. I don't care about dogs. And that's okay. Because, again, it's being really clear on who you are, what your passions are, and to realize the old way of doing business is the old way of doing business. And there's plenty of people who will still do that, but there's plenty of opportunity to be more fully who we are. And, again, it comes down to then you're not who I was looking for. I'm sorting here. Okay, you go in that pile. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it it works both ways. And not only it might not be the client that we're looking for, but we might not be the consultant, the coach, the speaker that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we can just be ourselves, life gets a lot more fun. Yes. It's uh, hard being someone else. (laughs) It is. It is. And, you know, I'm getting too darn old to be somebody else. I just want to be myself. And as someone said, it's already taken. Absolutely. I, I think that was Mark Twain who said that. I could be wrong. <laughs> might have, yeah, 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 that might have been. But I have to tell you, recently I spent the time with uh, four elderly women, ages 80 to 91, who are all spitfires. These women are just amazing. And I just had the greatest time hanging out with these women and you, looking at what they were doing in just being themselves. And I thought, when I get to that age, I sure hope that I'm as passionate about life as they all are. No kidding. Wow, that age. Uh, actually, I was just reading about some women in Japan. They do these flowers. They do a flower arrangements that go on people's uh, uh t- tables, like in restaurants. Mm-hmm. And they're, they just pick them in their backyard. Nice. But they've done so well. Here's this lady's like 85, 89. She bought two, she put 100,000 down on two different houses for her grandkids. So she must be doing something right. I think right. she's doing something right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that age, I mean, she says, I just go out my backyard up on the mountain and I pick all these flowers for the restaurants. So there's some kind of cooperative she's a part of and they, they send out a message and say, "Do you can you give me 25 of these for $45? And then whoever says yes first, they get the job and they go get the flowers and, <laughs> but it's all growing on the mountainside. Wow. Wow. Not, that's a, that's is, a great story. That's a great and story. And it's a community that uh, was dying because all, everyone moved to the big city, you know, in Japan. And uh, this, this place was going down the tubes and this guy came along and said, Hey, let's revive what you have here. And, and he, and, and the only people who were left were the 80 year olds. <laughs> so he, he based the whole business on that. But anyway, that's, yes, that's good. Yeah, age has nothing to do with it, does it, really? You know, it really doesn't. And, and one of the reasons that uh, I decided to participate in the marathon is after going through the loss of both my parents in the last five years, I it, it really took its toll on me. And I didn't realize how much until about a year passed. And it was like, wow, I, I can't believe how intense that was. And I had in some ways lost my passion and I I lost what I call my mojo. And what I decided at one point is I'm not going to ever lose my mojo again. I'm going to do whatever I can to live a passionate, full, exciting life. And I don't care if I'm working in my garden. I don't care if I'm going to the local grocery store, feeding my dogs, working with a thousand people uh, during a conference. I'm going to give it my all. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's a, a great uh, uh, point of view. And let's face it, if your mom and dad aren't important, you are. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't leave too many other people. Uh, did you have your good brothers, sisters too? I have two sisters, and uh, both are older than me. And I have uh, one who actually is a fine artist, and she does not believe in the starving artist mentality by any stretch. And and it's so interesting. Good. Because she's sixty three, and uh, actually she'll be sixty three. She's going to get upset if I push her age too fast. But she had a few people who were saying, "Why don't you slow down? You're sixty three. You should be slowing down." She goes, "Oh no, I'm just getting started." And I'm and I think that. that's what we're seeing nowadays, Ken, is that. We we used to retire at this age, and now it, it's a matter of what do we really want to do with the rest of our lives? Like our lives are just beginning. Oh, absolutely. We have to just end it. But again, we don't know the length of time anyway. We could be 10 and get run over by a car tomorrow. So. Absolutely. You, you know, and that's the thing. From day to day, we don't know if it's our last day, so may as well make it a good day. And make it live it like it might be. Absolutely. <laughs> get every ounce of, of uh, joy you can out of life I, I agree uh, is there any last parting words that you'd like to say to the folks to, to encourage them well you know I would say be willing to take risks be willing to walk through your fear and be willing to not get the approval of everybody um, just be true to yourself because like like you said Ken uh, life is it's short we don't know when it's going to be over and wouldn't it be a pity if we get to the end of our life and we look back and we say i wish i would have i wish i could have and in this moment you can and you really should for you yeah regrets are the worst thing <laughs> absolutely nothing worse than regrets uh, and i would say this too that is constantly on my mind in the last few months is that Forget about yesterday because there's nothing you can do about it. And tomorrow you don't you don't have a guarantee you're going to have one. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there is only one time is today. Most of the, the problems that we have with stress is around where we are worried about what we did yesterday. We feel guilty about it or we're we're worried about what might or might not happen tomorrow. And if we just stay as present as possible and it's an effort, it does take a conscious effort to really be present in the moment, but giving 100 percent in that moment to what you're doing. Absolutely, because it, I mean that you get sucked into uh, lamenting over what you didn't do in the past. <laughs> you say, "Oh, I could have done that." Well, it has no value. It has no value at all. You know, it's just crying over spilt milk that uh, is gone. Uh, but it's. I think. I think. I would agree with what you were saying that today is the best day you're going to have. It's the only day you can worry about, and there's opportunity in today. You don't have to. Age has nothing to do with it. Brains has nothing to do with it. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world. I, I was thinking about today that a lot of the the leaders and a lot of the heads of a lot of companies aren't all that bright. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good point of view. <laughs> but they're the head. <laughs> because you know, if you look at the state that a lot of companies are in or the the world's in, you have to say, hmm, what have the leaders really done? You know, and and this is where the power, really power to the people. I remember in the '60s and '70s, we talked a lot about that. But it's truly, we do have the power today more than I think many people realize. And with social media and and things like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, there's so much we can do to get our message 
out there. And it's just being willing to have the courage to put it out there and taking a stand, having a perspective, having a point of view and owning who you are, really owning and taking responsibility for who you are. Yes, because as soon as you blame your life on everyone else, oh, my parents, my friends, whatever, my circumstances, the deck of cards or the cards I was dealt, if if you look at it from that angle, you're right. You, it was all bad and you're going to fail. <laughs> if you decide, okay, I'm going to do the best with the brains I got, because some people obviously have. They've gone to great heights with with little brains. <laughs> right. So, there's, so, there's, so you can't... Uh, you have to take responsibility or, or nothing's going to happen. It's just a must. Absolutely. And, you know, as, I, as I've been training for this marathon, I can relate that whole experience to so much about my business and my life that when I cross the finish line at 26.2 miles on May 10th, I, I will know I have earned it. Um, and I had a client the other day who said, oh, I wish I could just sign high-end clients. And I said, yeah, I wish I could just have a million dollars drop in my bank account. It's not going to happen. You have to earn the right. And a lot of times people, they just want the shortcut to success. And it's really about going through the experience and making the journey as exciting as possible because I got to tell you when I'm out doing a 10 20 mile work uh, training day it's not the funnest thing that I can do especially after about 15 miles I'm hurting and yet I know what I want to accomplish and it takes that kind of dedication to achieve the things we want to achieve and everyone that got it in the shortcut method, it didn't usually work out so well anyway. <laughs> Look at the lottery winners. They, they exactly. some really interesting studies about when people are given that much money that quickly, their consciousness has not raised to that level. So they will actually sabotage it. They do crazy things. They uh, get involved in weird situations. They have people that are chasing after them for their money. It's just crazy making because there's a consciousness that comes with commitment. And inheritance often has the same plague. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> they never earned it, so they lose it. <laughs> or they I mean, there's one, one thing to having money is another thing keeping it. Or, you know, I've heard of, of uh, adult children of, of parents who are elder and they're successful, and the parents are spending the money, and the, the kid's saying, wait, you're spending my money. It's like, no, they're not. They're spending their own money. And it's like mm-hmm. this sense of entitlement for something that really they should appreciate that their parents are enjoying their golden years. Absolutely. I begged my father-in-law to just come to Florida and golf and enjoy. No, he just hung on to the end, and then we all got you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, and, and he never didn't enjoy any of right, it. Right, <laughs> right. So it was sad. I mean, hey, we got some money, but I would have rather, I, how often I told him, spend it on yourself. Absolutely. What are you doing? Absolutely. But again, that's the free will that we have as people. We can choose who we want to believe, what we want to believe. It's free will is where, where it's at, and, and God has given us that ability to, to choose. Absolutely. So choose, choose wisely. Yes, it, it, that's, that's a good, uh, good uh, lesson for all of us is choose wise, wisely. <laughs> I mean, you've made mistakes before. You don't have to make them again. Well, you know, and that's why we have mentors, too. It's like one of the things that I always recommend to people who are getting ready to start a business or they want to take it to the next level is – 
get a mentor who's been there, done that. Um, I do a lot of uh, events, and in the last few years, I hired the best of the best who does events. This woman literally will make seven or eight million dollars from her events. She's just brilliant at what she does, and so I invested a lot of money to learn from her, and I been able to shortcut some things by making the investment, but it was hard work. I mean, there were times that I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? This is a lot of work. And yet the payoff has been incredible. And I actually had a client as a result of having that particular mentor. She told me yesterday, she said, you know, I went to somebody else's event and I have to tell you, they didn't pay attention to details like you did. And where I learned about those details was from my mentor. So I encourage people, find a mentor that can help you to get to the next level. And if you hire somebody, my goodness, listen to them. Uh, It doesn't mean you have to be a yes person, but if they're making a recommendation before you immediately say, no, that won't work, consider it. Absolutely. If it's not hard, if it's hard, there's probably some gold at the end of the trail. Absolutely. If it's easy, then launch out. (laughs) Something's wrong. Uh, you, you, there's no easy way, you know, all these opportunities that come along. Uh, we're going to make you a million dollars if you do this and this. Uh, that's the first warning sign right there. You know, it is. In, I, I was talking to a young man recently who's putting an information product together, and his marketing on it is how to make $40,000 a month with this thing. And I said, well, how much have you made? with this thing. And he said, well, I've made 500. And so I scaled it up that if they had this size of a list, they'd make 40,000. I said, what gives you the right to teach somebody how to make $40,000 when you've made 500? I said, you need to really think that through. He goes, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And we had several, and he had read my book and he said, actually, I, I read in your book where you said that we have to put a sales funnel together and we have to do this and this. And I said, but nowhere in my book did you say, this, did I uh, write that you should scam people and you should sell something that you have not earned the right to sell. And, you know, so people really need to look at what the truth of of a situation is, who they're surrounding themselves with, um, who they're learning from. And I'm, I try, I'm trying to think who it was that said the, the um, five people that we are most involved with, that we surround ourselves with, that is really a reflection of how successful or not successful our life is. So if we hang out with people who are spiritually fed, people who are giving back to their community, people who have good relationships, chances are we'll have those same things. If we hang out with people who are not really what we aspire to be, chances are we're going to be the person we don't aspire to be. I agree. Uh, now again, with family and things, you can't always have make those choices, but uh, but at least you can bring enough other people in your life that it'll override the sum that you Absolutely. may have to <laughs> spend some time with. <laughs> I was just thinking of your friend here that was making the five hundred a month. I think he probably could have found a thousand buyers. For his product, if you said I can make you five hundred a month starting next month, you know it's so interesting. Yes, Ken, it's really interesting you should say that because that's what I recommended to him. I said, why don't you start by telling people I can show you how to make five hundred dollars? And he goes, No, nobody will buy that. And I said, Oh, absolutely, people will buy that. One of my best reports was how to make your first hundred dollars online because that was believable to people, and it was a seven dollar report. So for seven dollars, they could learn how to make a hundred. 
I wasn't saying go from zero to a hundred thousand. Now I do teach people how to do that, but I don't teach them if they have no background, if they have no foundation, if they've never done anything in business. It's like you have to have that foundation and it's about integrity too. Uh, recently I posted something on, on Facebook that integrity is when your actions match your words. Nice. Congruency. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so important that what you're you're not just saying things, you're actually doing them, which <laughs> uh seems to have a great value and power. Yes. Well this has been a great conversation. I've had a great time with you. I, I, I appreciate you. Uh, giving me all this time to be with you, Kathleen. My pleasure, Ken. Thank you uh, so much. I, I appreciate I, that you invited me to share some of my insights. Oh, you got some great insights. I just want to say that, that I'd like to maybe hook up with you six months or a year from now and see all the what new books you're writing and what new uh, revelations you've had. Cause I, I would you love to. To help a lot of people again. Well, thank you, and uh, you have a, a great day, and uh, I look forward to hanging out with you sometime in the future. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank have you. Have a great day. Okay, bye now. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.